Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Professor Ortez of Georgetown University. <laughs> Makes me feel smarter. I know, uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you've missed part one, you need to go back belly up to that bar and give it a listen, and we'll save a seat right here for you. In part one, Ricardo, I'll call you Ricardo, even though I really Please like call calling you Professor Ortez, yeah. um, took a short uh, short dive into your past um, and talked about your personal journey of coming out and what it means and then what how that affected your studies and the way you teach as well um, in literature. So if, any, if our listeners miss that, they need to definitely go back and hear those amazing stories. What I'd really like to talk about is the literature today changed with the way society, I mean, I'm sure it the typical answer is yes, but how do you see that changing with the way we're shifting in society? Sure. Yeah, of course it is. Um, and it should. And in a sense, it's both. It's, it's not just sort of reflecting and responding to changes. It's also, I think, imagining worlds that, that don't currently exist and maybe perhaps moving us toward you know, ways of being that um, have to be imagined before we can actually realize them. And that's one of the things that We'll call we'll say literature, right? Yeah. But um, but literature, and you know, when I say the literary in general, I want to include all the other forms of not just storytelling, but forms of creative expression that maybe we always sort of think of as sort of starting with language or starting even with print on the page, but obviously includes all of visual culture, um, not, and not just not just the stuff that, that that tells stories, but but stuff that sort of moves you in whatever way. I mean, I think that like a, a little podcast called the Designated Drinker Show. Certainly, at least this. <laughs> I mean, there there clearly a, a good deal of creative energy went into this. The, the inventiveness of it, the you know the the sort of uh, the, the the genius of it, I think is is really impressive. And obviously, again, it's 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 pleasurable, but it's um it's something we should be doing with our time is one way to think about it, right? You know, we. We live in a world that if if we listen to certain kinds of signals um, only, we would think that everything has to be about you know a certain kind of pro productivity, a certain kind of busyness, a certain kind of resilience, a certain kind of of just being able to sort of make it in the world, and that can that could that could really just sort of eat up all of your time if you let it. And so the fact that we're actually wired to, and I think it's partly because we need to, because it's a way that we take care of ourselves. It's a way that we, I think make ourselves more the human beings that we are and 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 show ourselves like why we're busy when we're busy is to have the time to not be busy other times, right? To sort of open up that space to do what we're doing, to talk, right? And to do it over a drink, sure. If we if that's if that can happen, then let's All let's, the better. Let's, let's have that happen. It certainly does it's certainly not automatically worse. So um, you know, I think that I I um I feel like it's been true historically. I think it not only continues to be true, but I think it's increasingly true that it's just in our, you know, it's in our best interest for us to make this time, to find this time. And if one of the ways that we do that is by either creating, again, these worlds that don't exist unless we create them and then share them with others, right? And have them enter into them with us, um, enter into them and spend time there together, right? Which is what's happening when you open a book mm -hmm. You've accepted the invitation of the writer to go into a world that the writer has made and that the writer invites you to make your own. But it's not instantaneous. It's not something you can do when you're busy. It's something you have to sort of stop being busy in order to do. Yes. And then you're in it for as long as you're in it. And it's that time. It's that place that you go to sort of like breathe and think and dream and 
listen to a voice other than your own, but maybe hear your voice in that conversation too, that um, I don't know how to live without that. I've never tried to live without it. I don't think I ever want to. And if it's the thing that I do most in my life going forward, I, I will be a lucky person. And I want to recommend that to as many people as I can. You know, I definitely read a lot, you know, and I'm always thinking like, you know, how that inspires me, especially like, um, I used to love like little French stories and they were very about little witches and stuff. <laughs> and, um, like the secret of, uh, 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 anyway, these things inspired me to do what I do now, like to make cocktails and all, you know, things I do. But I'm wondering, like listening to you and like the, and the literary of it, can we create a society where, you know, where people can exist and we teach them through, you know, a new, a new futuristic utopia where you can be like, you know, the gender isn't, is important. The sex and the gender is what it is, you know, and it isn't something that you, you know, has to necessarily take a shape of femininity or masculinity and you're allowed to just experience. And, you know, is that something that children read, not children, but as young adults will come up and, you know, the new, you know, classic love story where it doesn't, it is no longer you're fielding, you know, female male, right? And you can allow the expression of love to be what that is. And, and am I missing it? Did I, did I miss something? Does that story exist in the new modern classic? I mean, I've seen hints and glimpses of it. I've seen gay relationships and stories and lesbian relationships and, you know, I've seen that, but I don't think I've seen like where we're describing a new, a world where you can exist and you find that space and you're creating what it could look like 50 years from now. I, I don't know. Am I wrong? Is there, is there a book? Is there a book that describes that? Huh. Yeah. So first of all, I'm, I'm not so much an expert in, in sort of speculative fiction and science fiction, but I think that there's been a lot of work happening in that space around imagining, again, sort of these alternative worlds where once you're sort of imagining beings that are maybe like human, but also more than human or other than human, right? You can start to sort of think beyond and and imagine beyond you know, the kinds of embodied lives we thought we, we, that we thought we only could have, right? That, that seemed to sort of line up with binary gender and either heterosexual sort of relationships, right? Or where every relationship is still sort of a function of the gender of the two people in it to something freer and more diverse and more, more fluid, right? Um, yeah. And so, but, but for me, like I, 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 uh, I watch a lot of television. So when I, when I was defining the literary before in that really expansive way that, um, you know, goes beyond uh, just like printed text, right. Or, or the, or the fine works of literary, of literary artistry. Right. I, I love watching a show like Star Trek Discovery because I think, and, and it's not the only one, but it's, it's a show that actually loves to play with the possibilities that, um, a world that, that includes all of these different sort of manifestations of love and of desire um, and of embodiment uh, play out and in a way that's accessible to a much wider audience, right, than what we think of it as literature per se, but it's not outside of literature. I think, I think there are ways in which there's a, there's a profoundly literary imagination that's there in a show even like that, that's, that's for popular entertainment in a particular genre. Um, and where the fact that it is futuristic and the fact that it is 
you know, and again, something that came out of the the, you know, the, the brain of Gene Roddenberry, Roddenberry way back in yeah. you know in the 1960s, but it's had like this life beyond sort of as a franchise, but as a kind of you know an imagined universe. Um, for me, I want to claim that as literary. I think that that's as much sort of a place where the creative imagination has gone to do the work that I think you're describing, but it's not the only one. And I think there's a lot out there that that's that's doing this, and I just think that this is going to continue. You know, with respect to to literary writers who um, I'm excited by, there are a bunch, and there are, you know some some relatively younger writers, but there's a, a she's primarily primarily known as a fiction writer, but she's written memoir as well, and um, and done some some genre stuff as well. But there's a a writer named Carmen Maria Machado who published a couple of years ago a collection of short fiction, and the collection is called Her Body and Other Parties. Um, a lot of the stories are speculative, like they take place on a, in a world that's sort of like ours, but not like ours. They're profoundly feminist. They're very much about a kind of female experience, but they're also profoundly queer and profoundly about people with um, you know, unconventional bodies and unconventional uh, uh, you know, identities uh, with respect to, to more than just uh, uh, gender and sexuality. And, you know, I've, I've been reading literature since I was five years old. I've been reading stories since I was a very little kid. I'm, I'm always really super excited when a, a new writer, a young writer, an emerging writer, shows me the possibility in storytelling that I didn't know existed. And she's one of these people. And she's not the only one, but she's one of my favorite favorite sort of recent examples. And if you could see him, he's literally bouncing like as he's talking about it. That's <laughs> yeah. how excited he's literally bouncing. No, I love that. Yeah. I, 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 want, I want that. I want to read that. So um, I think... Um, Professor Ortez told us, Gina, that creatives only get more creative when they're lubed. So I'd say we like, what do we dive right into that recipe? All right, we'll make a cocktail. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to that first episode, you need to uh, go back and listen to it because we're making an infused um, olive oil for this martini. And we're going to make what they call a 50-50, okay? 50-50 is when you use 50% gin to 50% um, vermouth. Now, the reason why you do that is because you're really looking for aromatics and I like to call it drinkability. Cause like I love a martini. I could probably drink too many martinis. <laughs> um, so if you make them 50-50, you could have more than 100. No, you can have, <laughs> you know, two or three and you're still feeling pretty good about it before you start like, you know, the martini makes a little flip on the glass on the side and now you're spilling it on your lap. Um, okay, so today we're gonna use Sipsmith Gin, and I really do love this gin because it is um, really beautiful aromatics on it. And like when, as soon as you open the bottle, you get this like wafting citrus smell, which is one of my favorites. So you're gonna pour in here one and a half ounces of gin, and then you're gonna do one and a half ounces of vermouth. Now you can use a nice like dry Spanish vermouth, which is really lovely. Dolan Blanc is a lovely vermouth. Um, I always say like use the vermouth you like, you know, like. Vermouth is, you know, obviously 50% of this cocktail. So you want something that, you know, gives you um, the flavor profile that you're looking for. So, you know, you know, you know, it's the same thing. Eat what you like, drink what you like. So we're going to um, stir this cocktail and we have a chill, uh, we chilled our uh, coupe glass and we're going to give this uh, 30 rotations. And if you listen to the show before, everybody knows if you're, you have to ask yourself, how hot is my environment? If you are at a beach and you're making this, then you might have to go 45 times around. And if you are in a cold environment, such as outside of Alaska, then you're maybe going only 30 rotations. 
you're looking for the water dilution and making sure this is nice and cold. And you're also chilling your glass beforehand because why would you pour a cold drink into a hot glass? All right, so we stirred our drink and now we are going to pour it into our chilled martini. Was it was a martini glass, really. I keep calling it a coupe, but it's really a martini. Um, glass, and we're gonna fill that. And now comes the magic, right? So if you never use olive oil in your drink, this is what you're going to do. You take your spoon and you gather a little bit of your infusion. And if you get one or two of your little times, it's not a big deal. But the idea is that it goes to the top and you make it in one circle. And if you want two, do two. If you're a three, if you're a three um, olive martini person, then do three. If you like two big ones, do two big ones. It's kind of really up to you and it is personal. I love this one right here. I don't know if you can see it, but it has um, just one little time. Now, recently I've become a big fan of not using plastic in anything. So this is a time sprig that I put a little piece of feta cheese and a tomato on and I'm gonna drop it in as, a, as my garnish. If you're feeling bigger, and you think that you're feeling bigger and you think that like you're you're feeling really prideful at this pride <laughs> wow. and you want to get really yeah. extravagant you can put the big garnish on which i think i'm going to do happy pride folks yeah and she's taking her time yeah uh -huh. and you're gonna stick it in and as long as it's not too heavy it'll stay off the side so there we go we have the cocktail right there and everything's like going around so like you can see that and i'm going to pick it up um, the feta cheese is really just a snack because I'm a fat kid at heart and I just love cheese. <laughs> so, cheers. 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 Thank you, Gina. Just a nice version of what the cocktail can be. Lovely. It's, it's so good. It's delicious. And you're right, that cheese is a snack. Yeah. <laughs> I'll save the cheese for last. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, no, the, I That love, is so good. I love the olive oil on this. I think it's just so um, different, you know? Like, I do love... Yeah. Now... I do love eating the olives and the drink, but it's just like a little bit different. It's aromatic. It's like really sippy and delicious. I think it's lovely. I could drink these all day. Yeah, so could I. And I think, no, I, I appreciate you introducing me to a whole new world here of <laughs> olive oil in my cocktail. <laughs> you should ha and have fun with it, though. Like mix different vinegars. Like do um, but in like yeah. really Sicilian olive oil or like a good um, Spanish olive oil. Like a really, like this one is. they usually yeah. come in like smaller. Um, here, I'll show you one. They usually come in like teeny, like smaller uh, bottles. Okay. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for something that comes in a very small bottle with a big price tag and you're like, fuck, that's expensive. <laughs> but you only need very little bit of it and it's so fruity and delicious. It's like worth it. No, thanks for that. That's, this is, this is like, this will not be my last cocktail with olive oil in it, I promise. <laughs> Perfect. This is, part, this is a delicious, I really yeah. could drink these, yeah. too many of these. And I think they the good thing is, like she said, the vermouth brings down your alcohol content a bit. Right. A little light on the, you know, a little bit. I like to think it that way anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's think about it that way. Let's let's convince ourselves that that's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. You know, um, so back to the conversation, it was really interesting when you were speaking earlier. The first thing that came to my head is before you brought up it was Star Trek about the fact that when you said, do you do we see what's to come, you yeah. know, and, and the first thing is, I was like, oh, Star Trek was that. And because if you think about it, 
they had, I forget his name, Captain, uh, I'm stuck on Captain Picard. Kirk. Captain Kirk, thank yeah. you, I'm stuck on Picard. Um, Sam, Star Trek junkie too. Um, sleep with the blue woman. Yeah. Now, yeah. let's be honest, so I am half Mexican, half German, Dutch descent of some sort. Okay. And so, I mean, we grew up colored. And I mean, they went straight for the color. I mean, right, they made right. her blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you think about it, was it that was it that touch on um, what you couldn't say in this back then? You couldn't yeah. have a, a person of color have a relationship with. And I think it's funny is I say a person of color, and here she was absolutely blue right, um, with right. a white man or a white person at that time. I mean, in the seventies, I have to think my mother in growing up in St. Louis took, had a few stink eyes, if nothing else, because we grew up in a very white neighborhood and my father was uh, yeah. beautiful bronze skin. So I have to think that they, they were breaking some barriers there. They had to be in a very gentle way. Sure. Yeah. An acceptable yeah. way. Right. Right. Way, in air quotes. But still powerful. Right. Yes. And, and still really meaningful. And I think that that's, that's always, again, it's, it sort of goes back to what I was saying originally about, um, you know, that storytelling has just always been one of the ways, you know, you can call it almost a kind of tool, a technology, or a kind of um, uh, an alternative form of, of knowing, of, 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 of almost a, an alternative kind of intelligence that we're, again, using to try to understand ourselves and, you know, to understand ourselves, hopefully, so that we can not only sort of sustain our lives, but improve our lives, but also in a way kind of give us our, you know, give ourselves this chance to, to, as I was saying before, just be human around one another in a way that allows for, you know, time to stop or time to be spent doing something other than working, right? And uh, in a way, you know, just to, to be able to play, you know, and, and, and to have fun yeah. um, in a way that, that involves an enormous amount of trust. It has yeah. to, right? Because it is, a very open thing, um, but it it's also uh, I, I, I as I was saying before I just don't know I I don't know how to be a human being without it right and I I I want this more for more of us right yeah. and and in the world that we're living in now which is such a such a challenging place and a place that's you know we're almost all the time we're just distracted by all the ways that we're capable of harming one another and um, not caring adequately for one another and not not even listening to one another and certainly being willing to refuse to listen to others stories yeah. right I, yeah. I think that um, this is this is one of our this is one of our most basic defenses against that and one of our most powerful tools away from that yeah. and to this other better thing right which is I think where we're most most fully human with one another and freest with one another's. Yes, yes. I think, I, to your point, I think what, it, like you said, you, it breaks down barriers, because I keep saying this, we start to see each other. Yeah. Again, we start seeing each other, we start seeing each other struggle, seeing each, each other as humans, and realizing we have shared stories. Our, yeah. our, our, we still have the same shared, we all have the same, we have shared struggles. Yeah. And I, I think also through reading, it gives you language that you may not have had. Sure. And insights, but then gives you the language to take that out into the world and move it forward in those conversations yeah. that help us all grow. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's, again, I've, I've mostly been a teacher of, of college students and graduate students. And so I, you know, I get students when they're a little bit further along in their education and more advanced, but I still feel like it's such a, such a remarkably, again, foundational thing that we do when we teach young people 
A, to read, period. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and what to do with that capacity to read from that point on. And it doesn't, you know, it's, it certainly doesn't stop at literature. It's everything else. It's the rest of your, of your, of your intellectual life, but really it's the rest of your human life if you're lucky enough to have it. And, um, I, I, again, it's, 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 it is empowerment, but it's also liberation. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Gina, before we go any further, please help me make sure we do our housekeeping. Where are they going to go to get these tips and tricks? And then I also want to make sure we have um, the books that uh, Professor Ortez shared. You're going to designate your good show for your tips, tricks, and how to, and then also how to get to Professor Ortez's books and what he's written. Yep. Yes. Yes. And the ones that he's mentioned. And um, and then how much it costs to take a class of them at Georgetown? Because I'm sure that's expensive. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you cannot it tell is. a lie. <laughs> Georgetown has great financial aid for many of his students, but it's it's a very expensive place to go to school. It's it a very is. beautiful place to go to school. It's also it is that. Do I get a discount because both my children were born in Georgetown University Hospital? Because I feel like I would like that. <laughs> I wish I could give that to you. <laughs> I do. I'd be like, I think um, that's a no, Gina. I did have both my children there. No. <laughs> Does that make them smarter in, like, right yeah. away? I don't even know. <laughs> I, think, I, I get the feeling your kids are going to be plenty smart. Yeah, hopefully. They're your kids. Yeah. Smart asses, that's for sure. They're already yeah, smart. Smart. I, you, you stole the words right out of my mouth, Gina. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. All right. So I got I got one for I got a I got a good one. Okay, go ahead. Her. Okay. So being uh, being somebody that's so amazingly well read. Obviously, you know, in this day and age when everyone's like identifying themselves with a spirit animal, that's nothing new for you, right? Because like the Hopis have been doing that forever. And grandmother spider is such a but powerful beginning of like Ishbalankan and all that kind of mythology of American, like, uh, you know, Indian mythology that, you know, was part of um, the founding of this country, right? You can identify yourself as one ingredient that would describe your spirit, whether it is um, for food or for beverage, what would that ingredient be and why? <laughs> wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, and I'm, I'm just gonna give you, I think, a really, a really silly, stupid answer. First one really that comes basic, to your head. Oh yeah, sugar. Sugar. Yes. Oh, sugar, Why? sugar. Oh, just for every reason you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's sweet. It usually makes most things taste better or tries to anyway. Um, and it, it's not necessarily uh, bad for you, uh, but it's also not necessarily good for you. Mm. There you go. There you go. It's the moderation answer. I love it. And it's also addicting. So, yeah. ah. And there is such a thing as too much sugar. <laughs> <laughs> you can't uh, have enough. <laughs> oh, I do like that. It's very cute. I love that. Good answer. Well, thanks for gracing us with your presence. Thank you. This is a this is a blast. Elevating all of us, hopefully, to inspiring us, make me feel smarter just for being in the same room with you. Thank uh, you. I'm gonna be like, did you hear our last episode? It's really good. Yeah. Um, also, we were drinking martinis. Pinkies out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Always pinkies up. Yep. <laughs> it is what it is. Hello. I don't, I don't know how to do it any other way. <laughs> it's the it's how the martini glass is made, right? I mean, obviously, it, it is made for that. <laughs> All right. Well, cheers to both of you, to a happy and celebratory pride, and uh, reading more. Cheers. Cheers.
the Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.